Well, good morning, Cornerstone. A warm welcome to any visitors we have joining us this day. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Michael Risk, and I'm part of the ministry team here at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church. Uh, last week, we began a series in the Book of Ruth, but today I've decided to take the liberty, given that it's Reformation Sunday, to preach a once-off sermon on the topic of justification. Uh, Martin Luther considered by most as the father of the Reformation, saw justification as the article upon the which the church stands or falls. And on the 31st of October in 1517, 504 years ago today, Luther nailed his 95 Theses on the door of Wittenberg Church, condemning the practices and abuses of the Roman Catholic Church. Such abuses were the teachings on penance and indulgences. In the years leading up to this grand event, Luther became convicted that no one is justified by works or indulgences or acts of penance, but one is justified and made righteous by Christ alone. And one book, one book that heavily influenced Luther's thinking on justification is the book of Galatians. He saw this epistle, he saw this book as his epistle. He loved this epistle and compared the love that he had for the book of Galatians with the love that he had for his wife, Catherine. Uh, today we're going to look at just one passage from the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 to 21, which would have undoubtedly shaped Luther's thinking but also gives us a clear explanation of the gospel and what it means to be justified. I please have your Bibles open up in front of you, or alternatively have the corner post, our church newsletter in front of you, which has today's reading on it. I'm going to read that out for us. That's Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 to 21. Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 to 21, and this is God's word. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this time where we can stop and remember um, what happened 504 years ago. Father, that we can um, remind ourselves of the Reformation and the great work you did there. Father, I pray, Lord, as we look at the topic of justification and look at this passage, Father, we pray that you would be with us by your Spirit. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. 
And Father, we pray, Lord, that yes, you would be with us during this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the question we open up with is, why is the doctrine of justification so important? Why is it important to know about the justifying work of Jesus? The work of Jesus is so important to know because it's His work alone that has secured our salvation. It is Jesus alone who has made us right before God the Father. Friends, the Christian faith is unlike any other religion out there. For many religions, for many worldviews, they teach that their, understand, their standing before God is dependent on them, on their good works. It is dependent on how they have lived their lives and whether they have done enough good to outweigh the bad. Uh, let me just give a few examples. Uh, Islam teaches that when you stand before God, when you stand before Allah, you will be judged. And the verdict depends on, where, on how you have lived your life. Uh, during your life, you have two angels watching over you, one recording your good deeds and one recording your bad. And when you die, you stand before Allah and these lists are read out. And you are hoping, you are praying that the good list is longer than the bad. If you've lived a good life, paradise awaits you. But if you live a bad one, if you've lived a bad life, then condemnation is your verdict. The same is for Hinduism. Your works justify the outcome. Whether you have done enough good to outweigh the bad. If you've lived in a good enough life, then the better life, the next life in store for you is better than the one you've had now. But if you've lived a bad life, then the next life for you will be worse than the current one you've had. What about for Australians? It seems that every census state we are slowly becoming less and less religious. But are we any different? If we were to go out on the street after church and say to those walking on the North Hobart Strip, if we were to say to them, if you were to die tonight, if you were to die tonight, why should God let you into heaven? What might we expect to hear? Perhaps something like this. Well, I've done enough good in my life. I've been a good person. So I expect that the good I have done would outweigh the bad. It's the same story for us, isn't it? It's all works-based. However, unlike any other religion, unlike any other worldview, Christianity does not teach that your salvation rests upon you. The Bible teaches us that salvation rests upon the work of Jesus. Salvation comes from Him. It comes from His work, not ours. Uh, Jesus did this by living the sinless life that we could not, and dying the death that was meant for us on the cross. On the cross, He took our punishment. He took our sins, and He died the death that was meant for us. And then after three days, Jesus rose from the grave. He conquered death for us and secured for His people eternal life. The Bible teaches us that salvation is not dependent on us, 
but teaches us that we have been made right before God the Father completely by the work of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus that we are saved, not by our works, but by His. And we are reminded of this as we open up the book of Galatians. We find this in these seven verses that we are going to be looking at today. And as we look at these verses together, I want us to notice three things. First, that we have been justified by Christ. Second, that we have been enlightened by Christ. And then third, that we have been made alive with Christ. Let's have a look at that first point together, that we have been justified by Christ. As we look at our passage, we read at verse 15 something about Jews and something about Gentiles. Uh, For those unfamiliar with the word Gentile, it means all those who are not Jew by birth. I imagine that would be most of us here. And Paul in this verse is making a distinction between Jews and Gentiles, that their nature or their beginnings are different from one another. And to make sense, to really make sense of verse 15, friends, we need to understand the verses around it. We need to understand why Paul has written this letter. What's the context of Galatians? The context of this letter is that false teachers have come to the church, have come preaching a different gospel. These false teachers are from the circumcision party, Jews who have come from Jerusalem and are teaching that you you need to adhere to the law of Moses to be right before God. You need to do what the law says to be saved. For example, teaching that you need to be circumcised to be saved, teaching that you need to observe the food laws to be right with God. It's likely that these false teachers have convinced Peter in chapter 2, verse 12, to withdraw from eating with Gentiles, and that a burden was placed on Gentile Christians that if they wanted to fellowship with their Jewish brothers and sisters, if they wanted to eat with the apostle Peter, they needed to observe the Jewish law. So what is happening here? is that a false teaching, a false gospel has been shared. It is being preached by those of the circumcision party. And what might they be saying? What's an example of what they might be saying to the church there? Well, they're probably saying, we have been God's people since Abraham. And as God's people, we have been told in the law of Moses how we ought to live, how we ought to act, how to be right with God. It's all written in the law. And so what they're doing is preaching a different gospel. They are preaching a gospel attained by works. And Paul rebukes this. He rebukes the Galatians for entertaining and believing these lies. At verse 15, Paul is acknowledging something. He is acknowledging that there is a difference, yes, between Jews and Gentiles. But the difference is not in their salvation, but in their beginnings, in their origin. The stories of how they have come to know Jesus have started differently. But they must both come to the same conclusion. We all like a good origin story, don't we? We like hearing about people's history, about their background, about their conversion story. I think this is why Marvel has produced so many origin movies. Because people love a good backstory. They want to know how that person came to be who they are today. 
What's their background? What's their story? What about for the Jew? What about for the Jew? What's their origin story? Well, their story does start with Abraham. It begins with covenant promises. And the Jew has received the law, the prophets, and the writings. They have been following God for centuries. So their conversion story is not necessarily a turning away from the world, but rather a new ratified covenant made by Jesus. They have always been following God. And for the Jewish Christian, they are still following God, but not following God now through some law, but following now God through faith in Jesus Christ. The Jewish origin story is a conversion story which begins, which has been given clarity and understanding of God's unfolding redemptive plans through Christ. Think of it this way. It's like under the law, they understood God's plans in black and white. But now in Christ, they see God's plans in color. What about for the Gentile Christian? What's their origin story? Well, their story is like our story. It's living for the world. And their conversion story starts by hearing the gospel, which leads them to turn away from the things of this world and turn to Jesus. It's a 180 turn, turning away from sin and turning to God. But despite the different beginnings, the end of the story for both the Jew and the Gentile must find overlap in the work of Jesus. Both need to come to a knowledge that their salvation, that their standing before God rests completely on one person. And that one person isn't them. It's Christ. It needs to rest on His work. Both need to come to a knowledge that it's Jesus who has saved them. So Paul can say at verse 16, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. He says Jews and Gentiles, despite their backgrounds, they need to know that they are not justified by the law, not justified by any works, but justified by Jesus and Him alone. That no matter who we are, whether we are Jew or Gentile, if we call ourselves Christian, our standing before God must be, is made possible by Christ. We have been justified by faith in Jesus. But what does justification mean? What does that big word, justification, mean? Louis Burkhoff said, justification may be defined as the legal act of God by which he declares the sinner righteous on the basis of the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Or perhaps an easier way of explaining justification is seeing the word justification and then seeing it explained as just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. By many accounts, justification is, is the legal process of being declared not guilty. And this is very true, friends. However, there are so many other doctrines that overlap and intersect with justification. And so to be justified is to be declared just as if I've never sinned. But it's also so much more than that. 
It's more than just receiving a blank slate. To be justified is to also partake of all the blessings which sin took away from us. At the fall, in Genesis 3, what happened? Well, Adam and Eve partook and ate of the forbidden fruit, didn't they? And what happened when they ate of the fruit? Well, they were given the punishment of death. But what also happened? They lost all the privileges they had prior to the fall. They lost all the benefits of what it meant to be in communion with God, to be in right relationship with Him. So when a Christian is justified by Christ, multiple things happen. It's more than just being given a clean slate and said, not guilty. The Christian receives all the benefits of what it means to be made right before God the Father through the work of Jesus. And we won't be able to cover all those things today, not this Sunday. However, our passage does touch on two things. And the first of these two things lead us to our second point. Point two, that we have been enlightened by Christ. Have a look at verse 17 with me. Paul says, But in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Paul says, absolutely not. No way, Jose. Verse 17, Paul is addressing Jewish Christians and he says that when we were justified, our eyes were open. And what were they open to? Open to the fact that they were just like their Gentile brothers and sisters. They realized, like them, that they needed a Savior. When the Jews embraced Christ, they realized they were not justified by works of the law. They came to realize they were never justified by their works. As the psalmist said in our Old Testament reading, no one living is righteous before God. Under the law, no one could be righteous on their own merits. It's because no one could fulfill the law. So in seeking to be justified by Jesus, they have realized that they are sinners just like anyone else. They realize that it's only God's grace, through God's grace, that one is saved. And that's how it's always been. It's always been by God's grace that one is saved. It's never been through the law. It's never been through good works. Therefore, in realizing they are sinners, the objection is raised. Does this mean that Christ promotes or ministers sin? And the Jews asked this because previously they thought that under the law they were sinless. Does that mean now having been justified by Christ, they have become a sinner? Paul says, absolutely not. No way. But having been justified by Christ, your eyes were made open to the sin that was always there. And likewise to the grace that was always needed. Uh, this is why Paul warns the Jew. He warns the Jew at verse 18 not to rebuild what has been torn down. He warns them, now that your eyes are open, now that you know, know that the law never made you righteous, now that you realize it's only through Christ and through His work that you are righteous before God the Father. Uh, Paul is almost giving here an exhortation 
to hold firm to this new faith in Jesus. And a warning of don't, to go back. Don't go back to the law. Don't rebuild which has already been destroyed. For the Jew to go back to the law, to go back to doing good works, would to be would to make yourself would be making yourself a sinner. For to go back to the law would be denying God's redemptive plans. Uh, we of gentle origin need to take this warning also. Not to go back to what we were doing previously. I think the temptation for most of us is thinking we can still do life without Christ, isn't it? We can be godly enough. We can be good enough without Jesus. So you and I can fall into the trap of trying to be right with God again through our good works. I know this is my temptation. This is my temptation. Before Christ enlightened my eyes to His saving work, I was part of the Roman Catholic Church. And I was taught that as long as I was a good person, that I would be standing before God justified. Uh, in this church, the doctrine of universalism was taught, that God desires everyone to be saved. And salvation didn't rest on Jesus. It rested on your good works. However, who decided what was good or bad? It was me. It wasn't the Bible. It was me who decided. I decided what was sin and what wasn't sin. I decided that as long as my sin wasn't grotesque or outlandish, then I stood before God on good terms. However, my conversion story involves having my eyes opened to the devastation of my sin. That anything contrary to God's word, God's will, God's command was sin. I realized that based on my own merits, my own good words, I stood in the hands of an angry God. It was here that I realized I needed someone to take me out of these, hang these angry hands and place me into safe, comforting hands. And the only one who can transfer us from the hands of an angry God, from, a, from the hands of a place of con condemnation and a place of justification, a, of hands of comfort, well, that's not any work we can do, but it's Jesus alone. I knew I needed Jesus, or rather Jesus showed me that I needed him. In being justified by Jesus, we see that being a good person doesn't save us. Being justified by Jesus, we know that the law doesn't save us. Being justified by Jesus, we are given understanding of God's plans. We are given understanding of what it means to be saved by Christ. Paul is saying, if you have been enlightened by Christ, your eyes have been made open, and you realize that you can't be right by yourself. This is a message for both the Jew and the Gentile. And so Paul warns us, don't go back. Don't go back to what you're once doing, but rather place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Uh, for me, a great way of remembering what does it mean to place my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus is the acronym that is usually associated with faith. Uh, perhaps you've heard it before. It's when you see the word faith written down, and it's F-A-I-T-H, and it's forsaking all 
I trust him. That's what it means to have saving faith in Christ. Forsaking all, I trust Him. No longer turning to the things that I once believed in. Forsaking those, leaving those behind, and turning to Jesus as the only hope of your salvation. That is what the Christian is called to do. Having been justified by Christ, we are told to trust Him alone. No longer our works. No longer any law. Stop depending on self, we are told. Stop relying on your good works, we are told. Stop worshipping and believing things that are false. But turn to Jesus and keep turning to Him. To have faith in Jesus is to forsake everything that we once knew, everything we once held on as our source of hope, and to trust in Him alone as our only hope. So friends, if we have been justified by Christ, we need to not depart from Him, not to go to old habits, but start living for Him. And we can live for Him because He first lives in us. And this leads us to our third point. Point three, that we have been made alive in Christ. Have a look with me now at verse 19 and 20. Paul says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says to the Jew, We no longer live under the law, but through our justification, by having our eyes open, we see that we can only be justified through faith in Christ. He then picks up on this wonderful imagery of being united to Christ. Have a look again with me what Paul says. He says, we have been crucified with Christ. We have been made alive with Christ. Friends, justification is more than just being declared righteous. It is more than being declared not guilty. Being justified, being able to say, just as if I'd never sinned. And to never sin means also partaking of all the benefits which took sin away from us. Having been justified to Christ means also being united to Him. In Christ, our sins were paid for. They were paid for on that cross. And we were declared not guilty. And not only did Jesus die for us, he conquered death for us. After three days, He rose again. He is living. He is not dead. We do not worship a God who is dead, but one who is living. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, but He also dwells in us. He dwells in all of God's people by the power of the Holy Spirit. Having been justified by Christ also means Christ living in us. It is Christ who is changing us, Christ who is transforming us, that since He lives in us, we no longer live how we once did. Friends, how were we living before Christ came into our lives? Well, we were living for ourselves. We lived to please ourselves. We lived for us and us alone. But now that we are united to Christ, we no longer live for the flesh, that part of us is dead, having been crucified with Christ. We now live for Christ. We live for God, the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. So when we were justified by Christ, 
we also became united to him. And this work of justification is ongoing. Remember how I said the doctrine of justification is not a teaching that stands in isolation. But it's a teaching, a doctrine that intersects and overlaps with other doctrines, other teachings. And one such teaching is sanctification. That having been united to Christ in justification, we are united to Christ in our sanctification also. And sanctification is a big word that simply means being made more holy. In our sanctification, Christ is making us more holy, making us more like Him, transforming us by teaching us to hate our sin and to love Him more. So friends, being justified is more than just having the slate of our sins wiped clean. Being united to Christ is also having a new life in Him and being changed and transformed by Him. Until that day He calls us home, or until that day when Christ returns, He is going to make us more holy. And on that day, when Christ returns and He makes all things new, we receive the full benefits of what it means to be united to Christ. We currently have a hope that is stored us stored up for us. And that hope is one day being able to fully commune with God. When Christ returns, the presence of sin will be fully dealt with. Sin will be gone. No more to return. A being united to Christ, being justified by Him, is a promise of one day having a better tomorrow. Of one day being in God's presence where He will wipe every tear from our eyes. Where there will be no more sin, no more suffering, no more pain. We will receive all the benefits when Christ returns that we were created to have when God created humanity. Paul then says in verse 21, he says he does not reject the grace of God for he sees that through Jesus one is saved. And it's only through Jesus that we receive all the benefits which we lost in the fall. And he says if righteousness could be attained through another way, if righteousness could be attained through the law, well, then Christ died for nothing. In many ways, verse 21 is a warning to us that there is no other path, no other path out there to be right before God. The only path that is available to us to be right before the Father is through Jesus. So those of us here, those of us in this room who have not come to that place yet, of placing our faith and trust in Jesus as the only way of salvation. Those here who are still relying on their good works to be right before the Father. Friends, today we have heard a message that the only way to be right before God is not through our good works, but through Christ's good work. It's through His life and His death and His resurrection. Justification, life, is only found in Christ Jesus. For the Christian here, hold on to that truth. Don't let it go. Don't go back and rebuild what has already been destroyed. Christian, you have received the greatest gift that anyone could give you. The gift of Christ Himself. And for those who haven't come to that place yet, of trusting in Jesus and being justified by Him, the work of justification, the work of Jesus, is the greatest story, the greatest gift that the church has. 
It is the article by which the church stands and falls. And it isn't a gift that we have made up, but a gift and teaching that we have first received from Jesus. It's a gift that we now share with you. And in more ways than one, it is the gift that keeps on giving. For those here who would like to know more about this great gift, I encourage you to talk with someone after the service. Talk to the person next to you. Talk to the friend who has brought you along here today. Talk to one of the elders. Talk to me. At Reformation Day, October 31st, is a day we remember as a day when God in His mercy reminded us of the greatest gift He has given His church. And since that day, it is a gift that we have been sharing for over 500 years. A gift that Christ has given to His people. The gift of justification and all the benefits associated with it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time today where we can stop and remember of that great work that was done 504 years ago. Lord, we thank you for your servant, Martin Luther. Father, we thank you for how you used him to bring about the Reformation. Father, we thank you for how your Holy Spirit was at work in his life. And Father, how your Spirit has been at work since that day in continuing to... uh, Be at work in declaring this great message through your church. Our Father, we thank you for how you have been at work in our lives. How, Father, you had opened up our eyes to our need of a Savior. How you justified us through the work of Jesus. Father, what a wonderful gift you have given your church. Help us, your your church, to continue to share this great gift. Help us to continue to be reforming and to declare Uh, this great gift to those who don't yet know it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.